0: Good morning, Sammy. Yes, sir. What's the, who is the, uh, you said we today's breakfast. I don't know who's the breakfast. So morning this morning we have uh, Shimon Simantok in honor of the Kahal, And we also have Mr. Mark Sitt. We'll think sure. What did Mark Sitt sure, donate in? He just, he's nothing, he just said. In, in honor, okay. He looked around the room and he said, just do it with everybody. So I figured Mr. Everybody, success. Okay. And then the other one, Mr. Michael, breakfast you on Monday. Is Michael here? Okay. So two sponsors. Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast and the Class. Breakfast and the Class today is sponsored by Simon Simatov in honor of the Kahal and as well by Mark Sitt in honor of Just Do It for Everybody. Those are the exact words. So uh, two two dedications on behalf of the entire Kahal uh, and honor the entire kahal this, uh, on this morning. Okay. Baruch Baro. My friends, this time, post Yom Kippur, is a very special time. It is called Rishon Hejbon Avonot. The first day for the tally, the Heshbon, uh, the accounting of sins. And our rabbis tell us that this period of time it seems as if right um that the period between rosh Hashanah, between Kippur, and sukkot which is called that day the first day of the accounting of sins makes it sound like the pieces the pieces in between the days in between are not counted for sin what does that mean we go wild one more time if you're calling the first day of sukkot Avonot, right then all these days in between well there's no avonot and our rabbis explain that the Jewish people are so busy with doing the mitzvot of getting ready for for Chag HaSukot, who has time to sin? I don't know if the Chachamim sometimes, uh, they uh, were uh, fully <laughs> aware of our uncanny ability to sin very quickly, you know, I think in a digital age as well, you have plenty of time to sin. It doesn't mean that there's no time physically to sin. It means something, I think, uh, perhaps a little bit deeper. It refers to this idea that when a holiday is kept, when a holiday is performed in its uh, ideal way, then the result of the holiday is not celebrated on, it's not felt on the holiday exclusively, it's felt and experienced after the holiday. There's a fascinating question that gets asked with a famous answer, but I'd like to delve into the question and the answer a little bit more with you today. We know that on Yom Kippur we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad and then everyone together thunders Baruch right? And we say the pasuk that comes afterwards Baruch Shem Kibod. That line all throughout the year is said quietly. It's said in a whisper. And there's one day a year where we say it out loud the day of Kippur. Why is it that we say it out loud on Kippur and why is it that we say it in a whisper all year round? Our rabbis explain That this pasuk was actually, it was lifted. It was stolen. Or perhaps a better word, it was uh, commandeered. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to heaven and he hears the angels using a slang. It was the first example of cultural appropriation. Moshe went up and he nailed, he nabbed the slang of the angels. He brought it down to earth and he told, and he taught the Jewish people, this is what the, the angels say. We should also be saying this Pasuk, Baruch Shem Kivod. But because we're not on the level of angels, because we sin, because we make mistakes, so what do we do? Baruch Shem, we say uh, those words, we say them in a whisper. On Yom a human being doesn't eat, they don't drink, there's no marital relations, there's no comforts, there's no um, leather shoes, there's no uh, anointing with oils. All these different things that are uniquely human, done only for the fact that we are creatures of comfort, okay? There's no ulterior purpose for it. There's no spiritual purpose for it. So on a day where we act like angels, we are capable of saying Baruch Shem out loud like the angels. The famous question that's asked though, is that it's interesting, because we begin saying Baruch Shem at what time? In our in the evening service of Yom HaKippurim. Right then, at that moment in time, your stomach is filled to the brim with food. You had so much water and Gatorade, it's up to here. If you sneeze, you'll lose half of your food, okay? That's how much you filled yourself up. Sometimes it's even painful, like, you know, in your stomach you had too much to eat before the fast. So it's interesting that we consider you at that time loaded up on food, right, to be like an angel. What's even more ironic, as our rabbis point out, is if you look at the end of the holiday, in Arbit after the fast, so we haven't walked out of the synagogue yet. Right? We're still in Yom Kippur mode. We just came from Neilah. We're going into Yom Kippur already. You can't say Baruch Shem. Why? Now is when we have much less food than we had the night before. We're after Yom Kippur Michilas <laughs> Licha if anything, if you had to choose one of those evenings to say Baruch Shem out loud, which evening should it have been? The first one or the second one? Second one. So this is a very powerful question. And the Rabbis give a, a beautifully instructive answer. And the, the the concept of the answer obviously is larger than its context. The answer is that when a person on the night of Kippur has their stomach full, they're heading into Yom Kippur, they have no thoughts of eating or drinking on their mind, there's no thoughts of uh, intimacy or leather sandals, the only thing you're thinking about is Yom Kippur. Where your head is, where your thoughts are, where your direction is, that's where you are. On the evening that we finish Kippur, it is true that you have no food in your system and your body is an angel. But where are your thoughts, the cake, the cookies, the coffee? You see the way we're praying. My rabbi used to say a line, I quote this line often. He says, if you want to see the level of Yerat shamayim a person has, watch how they make a biracha to break the fast. Is it... Or is it, Baruch, Ata Amunai, Elokeinu, Melech, HaOlam, Sheh yeah right? How do they make the Berakah? When your mind is running away from holiness, where are you? You're there. When your mind is running to holiness, where are you? You're there. And our rabbis give us a concrete example of this. In the Beit HaMikdash, there were many different rooms. There were rooms that were built inside the Beit HaMikdash proper, but they had no uh, egress. There was no exit from the room into the Beit HaMikdash. It only exited outside the Beit HaMikdash. So you could imagine, it's not what it was, but imagine there was a coat room. So it's on the outside of the wall. You go inside, you put your coat in, you do whatever you need to do. But there's no reason for that room to exit into the Beit HaMikdash proper. So it has no leaving, no... So it's inside the Beit HaMikdash but its exit is only to the outside. The halakha is if you have a korban that's only allowed to be eaten in the space of the Beit HaMikdash or the hechah or the azara, okay? Or the courtyard. So you're allowed to eat that korban in any area which is part of the Beit HaMikdash. Now you have another room that's built outside the walls. Outside. It's not in the walls. Outside the walls. But its only exit is to inside the azara. Physically, where is it? Outside the walls. Where does it exit to? It exits to the inside of the Beit HaMikdash. In that place, you're allowed to eat the korban. We see this concept of the mind and the body translated into halakhic concepts with regards to the room. Why? Because if the exit from that room is into the Beta HaMikdash, even though it's outside, it's considered inside. Because that's where it's heading. You have a room that's inside the Beit HaMikdash but its exit is where? To the outside? Where is it considered? Outside. Because that's where it's heading. My friends, and this is the point. Our rabbis are trying to teach us by calling this holiday Rishon HaHeshbon Avonot. We're calling the day of Sukkot the first day of the accounting of sins. We're telling you that the days between Yom Kippur and Sukkot are too busy. There's too much going on to sin. They don't mean physically it's impossible to sin. What they mean is that when you walk out of Yom Kippur into a space which is filled with the needs of the holiday, a person can use, can bank on that energy, that excitement, that busyness to prevent themselves from sin and maintain their Yom Kippur state a day when the slate was wiped clean. We learn from here a tremendous lesson. One of the greatest tricks to defeating the Yetzirah is simply to be busy. Schedule your day. Put things in it. Important things, good things. Now a person is thinking, I have to fight the Yetzirah. I have this negative trait. It doesn't help me to volunteer. It doesn't help me to uh, spend time learning a chavrutah. I need to work on this problem that I have. That's true but sometimes the best way to work on a problem is not frontally, the best way to work on a problem is actually uh, peripherally. And I want to explain what I mean by that. I mentioned on Rosh Hashanah, or it might have been on Shabbat, I don't remember anymore. They did an amazing study about New Year's resolutions and which people were able to stick to the resolutions that they made and which people were unable to do so. And they found a certain percentage of people were able to and a certain percentage of people were not able to and they decided to track and study to see if there were any markers that led to people being more likely to keep the resolutions that they made. And obviously, we're all interested in this because we want to keep the resolutions that we made on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur. They found two things that were overwhelming indicators. The first thing was that, again, contrary to what you might think, that the Kabbalah, that the resolution, should not be so specific. It needed to be specific in some way. It couldn't just be general, I'm going to be a good person, right? It couldn't just be, I'm going to be nicer. That's not good enough. They had to specify an area within which But it wasn't so specific. It wasn't, I'm never going to lose my temper. Or even, right, I'm never going to lose my temper uh, with my child. It allowed a little bit more space for interpretation. Why? Because when the resolution was concrete, it was super specific. If the person then didn't do it, it didn't fall within the brackets of the resolution. So if a person decided, as an example, I'm going to learn... Uh, more Torah or they said I'm going to learn an extra two hours every day if they learned an hour and a half they failed if the person says I promise or I make Kabbalah to learn more Torah each day at least 15 minutes they made it a smaller thing but they left it open ended that open endedness allowed it to be a little bit more likely number one to do it but also not to consider the lack of it a failure which then led you to dropping the whole thing Okay? That was the first thing. But I wanted to focus more on the second finding of the study. And the second finding of the study was this. What they realized was that the people who most kept their resolutions didn't try to not do something. They tried to do something. Let me explain. Um, I love, on Yom Kippur, my favorite part is the Long, the extended vidui, the director's cut. Okay? The rated R version. Right? Includes all of the sins. And you go through them. And the reason why I love it is because ashamnu, bagadnu, those things are like general categories. This is like every specific sin. It also goes through like intensely human things. Like, you know, I looked down on somebody else. I was arrogant, you know? It has like, and I didn't pay my worker on time. I didn't respect my parents, my rabbis, and those who were deserving of my respect. Like, you know, it gives concrete, clear, specific examples that allow me to kind of really remember things I might have done wrong, and as well to try and do mentally, to try and do Teshuvah for them. I will tell you my own experience, and I don't know if it's your experience. My own experience is that Unfortunately, a lot of the same Averot are the ones that I remember from last year that also hit me different, right? I don't know if that's the case for you. It's not like every year there's no Averot that I'm doing. It's, you know, they're generally a pattern, the ones that you fail in, the ones that you're making mistakes in. And it's every year you're getting the same, you're getting hit with the same ones. Part of the reason why is because when you get used to a certain behavioral pattern, it becomes very difficult to break that behavioral pattern. In fact, uh, there's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg where he talks about this. He talks about where the brain actually shuts off. So as an example, you ever been making a coffee for a friend and without thinking, you put in milk and sugar the way that you like it and the guy's like, oh, I like it black. You know why? Because when you start making a coffee, you know what happens? Your brain says, I got this. You focus on the news. You focus on something else. I know how to do this. I got this. And it shifts into the pattern the way you always do it. Someone says the wrong thing to you. You're not thinking I should be angry. You're shifting into that behavioral pattern that you've learned a million times. Listen to this. So therefore, the process of change is actually much more difficult to achieve by saying I'm not going to do the thing that I always do. That's hard. It's baked in. So instead, what he says is, don't try and fix it that way. Instead, take on something new. So what would something new be? Decide that when you get angry, you're going to say the entirety of Shema before you respond. (laughs) You see, I don't have a habit for that, one way or the other. I've introduced something new. I've not uprooted it. I've not said I won't, I will, I must. What have I done? i just introduced a new thing. The introduction of a new thing, which then by default stops me from doing the other thing, is a much better procedural attack on the sin than trying to attack it frontally. Clear? Rishon lecheshbon avonot is Sukkot. You know why? Because all those sins that you have, is a lot to be busy with. What we're really being told is when you get yourself into that situation or something happens and you want to do the thing that you've been doing before Yom Kippur, just remember. Start to remember all the things you have to do before Sukkot. Tell yourself, "I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it later." The way I saw it is, maybe perhaps Rishon leCheshbon Avonot. It's not about when we're going to judge you for them. Tell it's what you tell yourself. Look, I could do all these Averot later. I'll do them when the holiday's here. When I have found my etrog, I got my lulav, my hadasim, aravot. I got my sukkah, I built the sukkah, I went to the rabbi, I checked if it's kosher, I had the thing, I was on the phone, my wife needs help with the menu, I picked up the akel, I got the food, I booked the, su- the, the simchat Torah plants, I helped to make the bags for the synagogue. You're pushing the yetzahara off. You know, when the holiday, I, I'll do it later, when the holiday comes, I'll do it. When it's, later, 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 later. If we can establish, if we could grab for ourselves a few days here of delay tactics for the Yetzirah. Someone calls you, they want something. You push them off once. They call you again. Push them off twice. They call you again. Eventually, what is the guy? He stops calling you. You know why? He gives up. Yetzirah is like that. So if a person can go out of Kippur and take the person that he became on Kippur and have an exit strategy into what comes after, amazing. If they think, I've done Kippur, then you know what happened? It becomes a downhill from this Yom Kippur until the next Yom Kippur. There's a great line that I think was said by the father of Sarashnir, I think. He said, people are very concerned with how they are between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. They should be much more concerned with how they are from Yom Kippur to Rosh Hashanah. Ya yeah, yeah. What did we just do? My friends, what did we just do? Has anyone here ever gone on one of those uh, health kicks for like two weeks where you eat clean? Have anyone here ever done that? Sorry? No? Baruch you Hashem, you're tall and skinny. Sorry, wrong crowd. Everyone's tall and skinny? It's just me then, right? You go on a diet for a week, two weeks. You go to one of these health camps, place where you work out. You're in the summer. You get into a good groove, right? Could you imagine you do a great workout? You ate salad for two weeks. Someone comes up to you, and they stick on a piece of plate, a plate in front of you, a wedge of chocolate cake the size of your face. You're looking at it. You look at your wife. You look at your stomach. <laughs> you look back at the cake, right? And you ask your wife, "Is it? Can I have it? Is it? You know?" She says, no, actually, I just want you to know, it tastes delicious, but I put in six times the amount of butter that it asked for in the recipe. I added in just plain fat. I just put fat in there. I took, like, condensed fat, and, you know. It's about 40... If you ever not, want to not eat a donut, by the way, just look at the grams of fat on the... I remember once I saw an Entenmann's... Who you eating Entenmann's donuts our whole life, right? Yeah? I turned it over, each donut, like... 12 grams of fat I don't know what it was I was like all right, put that back over there (laughs) I remember I used to eat also those instant soups you know in the tradition you guys remember that yeshiva we lived on those right you heat it up everyone does that amazing trick to keep the top down they put the spoon on it and then they think like they're a mechanical engineer like you know put the spoon on it it like holds it down you you eat it like you eat the noodles Uh, all the guys are always eating the noodles too quick it's like still hard you're like oh no put it back in right you know the problem with eating the noodles... The noodles are not the problem. But if the noodles are a little hard, then that pee is going to break your teeth. Okay? <laughs> You've been there. You've been there. Okay? Right? So, you're eating... You're, you have the, I had the soup. I could never break kick the habit. I know how unhealthy it was. You know when I broke the habit? I saw on the label, 15 grams of fat. And so much salt. So much salt. Okay? Now, I want to just explain to you. Okay? I knew in my brain, I knew in my brain that this was not good food for me. I knew that my whole life. But there was never a time when I thought, you know what makes you grow strong and healthy? Donuts. There's a reason why donuts are round. They're trying to tell you what you're going to (laughs) become. Okay, my friends, I knew it. But seeing it and then realizing that when I went to the gym and the guy told you that if you're on the treadmill for an hour running your brains off how many calories you burn, You know, 600, yeah? You're spinning like the bike where you go majnun. How much you burn? A 1,000 calories. Hazaku Baruch, one donut. (laughs) Right? So there's an element that after I've worked out like this, after I've dieted, I'm not going to eat this now. Right? Rabotai, that's what Yom Kippur is. We just spend so much time, Rosh Hashanah, Silichot, Yom Kippur, you're wringing ourselves at getting up in the morning early, can't even see from Sadiqah like this, right? Now you're here. Now you're clean. Look at the Avon. 15 grams of fat. Full of salt. After all that, soon, later, not now. Not when I look great. Not when I'm fitting in my suit. Hadjah, give me a minute. That's the idea that we can tell Yitzhah in this moment. Give us a minute. Let us breathe. I asked a question a little while ago. It seems like poor planning that you have Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, bang, 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 bang. Everyone who's ever tried to work for a non-Jewish boss knows that this is the worst conversation you have with your with your company. I need some time off. Oh, sure, no problem. Which day? <laughs> Which day? So cute, so cute. Which day? I need these two days, and then this day, and then these two days, and then these day, two days. And then those three days, and then those days, and the, day before, and the day before I have to leave early every time. Exactly. Yeah. The guy says, "No problem, leave early today. Don't go back." Right? You think uh, poor planning? Because next month, Cheshvan. What do we call it? Mar Cheshvan. It's bitter because it doesn't have anything. Right? You think we, you know, give the wives, give the, give us a little bit of. Put Sukkot in the next month already? Had you, you know? And the answer is no. It's the relentless nature of Rosh Hashanah, Metishuba, Yom Kippur, Sukkot that creates this busyness, this detox, this forward motion. And in this forward motion, what happens is it kind of gets rinsed out of our cycle. So let's take these days, these four days, and try to make them busy. And if your Yom Kippur, excuse me, and if your Sukkot preparations consisted of, you have no Sukkah in the city, so they consisted of making a phone call to Haron saying, put me down for one set. Maybe this year, instead of calling Haron, you should drive to Queens or to Brooklyn or to wherever you can get a set and go look at it yourself. Handle the merchandise yourself. Find the Lulav, Etrog. By the way, you go there, you ask the guy who's selling it what makes it kosher, you learn a little bit you understand the halachot, right? being a little bit busy with it is not a bad thing. You know, uh, Hashem should bless us always to be able uh, to maintain purity as opposed to just achieving it. To be people that are angels for quite some time and not just for 24 hours, or 25 hours. Baruch Adonai amen Amen, amen.